Hi, everyone. Good morning. Ben is my hype guy, right? Like, he's always like, woohoo. He's really going to be my hype guy when I can get a different shirt on him than that KU one. But it's on, right? It's fall. The air is crisp. It's homecoming season. I've got my mums on my porch. And I've got this cute little sign that I'm, I'm actually going to make one tonight. This isn't mine. Um, it's not going to say house on it. There's a point to this sign, and I'm going to get to it in a minute. But um, we're in like a season right now that I wanted to kind of capture when I'm teaching. I'm going to turn it around because it's going to become a distraction. But I'll get to it later. You guys have something on your porch for, um, for the fall? No? I usually don't. My neighbor is going crazy. Like, y'all should come to my neighborhood because it's like Christmas time. Like, you know, blow-ups and lights and the whole bit. It, it is a season right now that we're in, and I just wanted to capture that season. For me, it feels like homecoming. Because I think there were some homecomings because I saw it on social media last night. It's, it's a season that changes. It's a liminal season, actually, that's in between summer and winter, right? So it signifies a change. And if you guys haven't been around lately or you're new to Lakeland, uh, by the way, my name's Marta. If you're new to Lakeland, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Garrett's on sabbatical, Dean's on retreat. So you guys got me. Woohoo! Thank you. Um, so, so homecoming and the thought that God has created a home for us is the theme that I'm going to be getting into for the next few weeks. Um, I told someone a couple of weeks ago that I'm going to be preaching out of the Old Testament for four weeks, and she said, you're going to do the whole Old Testament in four weeks? I'm like, no, no, that's a course. So Adam has been working on the Old Testament for four seasons, or three seasons, and he's going to finish Old Testament in the next course. So if you want more detail, that's the course to take. I'm doing kind of an overview, and I won't be going in chronological order. I've got to pick here. I'm going to be going through some themes, and the theme of homecoming is what I chose. And I have been reading a lot and been really, really excited about the Old Testament. So I'm sorry if I nerd out on you for a little while, but I'm probably going to do that. Um, we refer to God in a lot of ways, even in our songs this morning. The song choices were awesome for today. But even in our song choices, we, around Lakeland, refer to God quite a bit, probably more than not, as our king, because we're ushering in a kingdom, right? And that's a great, great way to um, uh, refer to him. We also describe to him from scripture as both a lion and a lamb. Um, sometimes we call him Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh, or sometimes it's, um, we, we don't even refer to God by his name because it's too holy, his name or her name. So um, we also, Jesus describes himself as a mother hen in the New Testament. And most of the time, though, I think we as Americans, we tend to refer to the Trinity or God as Father. And that is something that we'll capture in the next few weeks as well. The king metaphor is good, but as I don't know if you guys have been following the whole Queen of England thing, but that thing, I mean, I just... We in America, we don't get a monarchy. We don't get what that kind of means. I mean, like, what's their job? 
Have you asked that question? Like, what do they do? I don't know if we understand what it's like to live under a monarchy. And so I think the homecoming theme and the homemaking theme is something that almost every one of us can relate to, especially in suburban America. It's one that I can relate to. And I think that when I talk to most of you guys, we're all thinking in terms of what is our home? What is it, what does it look like? What is it made up of? What is our values? What are the things that we should be thinking about? Um, our movies and our stories, everything in our culture, and it's actually universal. If you ever live overseas or know people who live overseas, they too are also thinking about family and home and what it looks like. And I think, and I've seen this in our, uh, my class, my course about unattachment, most of our thoughts and how we attach to God have a lot to do with how we attach to our parents at some point. I think that my classmates would agree that that's something that we've learned quite a bit about in the last four weeks. So let me kind of just do a real quick overview. I'm not going to put the, these verses on, on the screen, but you know, back in Genesis, when God creates humans, he creates a home for us. In Genesis 1, 27, 28, he says, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The very first commandment we're given is to be fruitful, to create, to multiply, to grow, to have life. And then later in Genesis, after Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they hear God in the garden. And, and one of our songs actually referred to it. In Genesis 3.8, they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. I love that, the time of the evening breeze, because clocks weren't invented in the Garden of Eden, right? Like they had a time system even then, for those of you who think that time is a social construct, you late people. Um, the time of the evening breeze and the man and his wife hid him, themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? So even in the beginning, there's this kind of pattern of time and a pattern of relationship. So walking and hearing the breeze, there's a home in the Garden of Eden. And the story goes on, the Garden of Eden, in the beginning, God created the home. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. He is giving them a command to be abundant, to be full, to have it all. Does that sound like something that you would want, to have it all? Um, in the beginning of Exodus, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. So as there's more people that fulfill or create the earth, God keeps going on with them and says, I'm still going to be in relationship with the people of God. The Old Testament carries this theme throughout, the theme of home and God. And then even in the New Testament. Now, my Old Testament professor would say uh, it's incorrect to say the Old Testament and New Testament, we should say the First Testament and the Second Testament. So if that slips out of me, that might be what I'm trained to do, to say the First Testament, not the Old Testament. So the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word, meaning Jesus, he became flesh. And he, what did he do? He 
dwelled among us. He lived in the same proximity as us. And then later in Revelation, John of Patmos in Revelation says this, he sees the new Jerusalem coming down to heaven onto a renewed earth. And the loud voice of God's servant says, behold, the home of God among mortals. He will be with them and they will be his people. This is the theme, that God dwells and lives in us and among us and with us. He did it in the Garden of Eden and as, as well as hid himself. I mean, the, Adam and Eve hid themselves, but God also sends us out to exile for different reasons, and we'll cover that as well. That's, that's another theme, exile, in the Old Testament, First Testament. But it's always because they're being exiled from what? Their home. The home with God. It's not the desire of people to be exiled from the presence of God, but it happens for various reasons. It is the hope and the desire and the wish and the want and actually the destiny for the people of God to be in the place of God and in the presence of God. That's why we have this longing and destiny for home and family within our hearts at all times. So, in the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this. And I'm going to start today with verses Deuteronomy 6. And these will be familiar to you. If God is the same today, tomorrow, to yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then some of these principles can stay the same. Deuteronomy 6, is it up? Hear, O Israel. Israel is also known as the people of God, also known as the church today. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away and when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is more commandments of God as we see throughout the uh, First Testament. That God is giving us hints to what we should be doing in order to stay in this home or this family that he's talking about. Okay? So... Back to this little doorpost here. These are the kinds of things that we put on our doorposts. If an alien <laughs> landed in Lisa, Missouri, and was driving around my neighborhood and they saw the sign, they might see house, right? As if you didn't know <laughs> that this is a house on my porch, okay? Now, it has a little sign here that says welcome, but it's cute. This is what we do. We put cute things on our doorposts, right? We decorate it, okay? Occasionally, we will have things that are Christian on our doorposts. Occasionally, we will have a sign or a cross that might show that we're a Christian. But um, that's not what the idea was here in Deuteronomy, okay? 
But we do, we take things from scripture and we kind of change them. And um, the people of God did this too and they still do this today. So I brought some pictures. I hope that Luke shows them to you. Um, this is a uh, mezuzah. Do you guys see it onto the right there? Inside that little container there, sometimes they do put them up, um, hammer them up. Sometimes they do magnets, but they'll put them in this little mezuzah that has Deuteronomy 6 on there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, if you see something like that, that's probably part of a Hebrew or Jewish home, okay? Now, how are we going to bind these on our foreheads? Okay, the next one, I, I'm, the next picture is called a phylactery. Have you guys seen anyone wear these? Yeah, if you've been to Jerusalem, they still wear these. Um, sometimes in New York City with some Orthodox Jews, you'll see people who wear phylacteries on their head. I've not seen it here yet in Lakeland. Come on, guys. Yeah, so what happened is, what happened? You guys think about this. They took the scripture, literally, right? And then they put it on their doorposts. And sometimes you might see the flag on your hands, and sometimes you might see it on your people's foreheads. They took it literally, okay? And this is what we do. We take some things from God, and we do either one or two things with them. We either forget about them. So he says, stop forgetting about them. Bind them everywhere. Put, make reminders for yourself, right? Or we take it too far. And then it becomes something that doesn't mean anything. It becomes more ritualistic than really something that is from the heart. What was the point of a phylactery? Even Jesus in Matthew 23 mentions phylacteries. He says, all you guys are wearing all your scripture on your foreheads and so forth. It doesn't mean a thing to be super religious. Jesus says this to the, to the scribes and the Jews. But we still <laughs> want to do this. We want to become really religious or we want to say, ah, those things don't matter. Somewhere in there, something matters though, right? So why, does this, why did I bring this up? Because there's a pattern between God, the relationship between God and the people of God that you'll be able to see woven all throughout the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and even today. That we tend to go our own way and wander and that we and God brings us back and says why don't you try this and then we make an idol out of it and we take it too far you could probably think of something that you've taken too far that you've been really really staunch on and I would say in America in suburban America we become really really staunch on our families anything that we get super fearful about we're going to become really, really, really um, narrow about. Because, again, the pattern is God provides for us. He tells us what we should do. We wander from it, and then we overcorrect and try to go real staunch on it. So if the uh, byline for the newspaper story here would go, that would be it. God provides, people wander, they overcorrect, accident ensues, or something to that effect. So church, somewhere between the sweet spot of caring really staunchly about what God cares about, 
and not caring at all, idle, and idle, I-D-L-E, doing nothing and not caring, is a sweet spot that God wants us in. That is the spot that becomes secure, if you want to talk in attachment terms. Not overly anxious and not avoided, but some relationship of home that God wants for us to be in relationship with him that is secure. Think about your home. What part is the most cozy, safe, and secure for you? You've made it in your home somewhere. That's, how, that's the, the hope and the, the want for God. So I'm talking about this because at some point in our um, conversations about attachment with God, I asked my class, is God or is church a doula or is the church a hospice nurse when we talk about life? Okay, so you guys know what a hospice nurse is. I know one very, very uh, well and I love her. And you probably know what a doula is, but if you don't, that is someone who's like a birth coach, someone that helps you birth the baby and get, get you through the pain. Both need to know a lot. And both um, are very, both of these professions are very, very important. But scripture says that all creation has some pain to it. And that we are all groaning. Romans says we're groaning like a woman in childbirth. So we're groaning to become this Christian home, and yet we're not quite yet there. And some of you, I know, are saying, well, if we're supposed to all be at home, then what's, why is the church such a mess, right? Or maybe you're saying, you know, church is just like your home, <laughs> sort of dysfunctional and a mess. So, not to take this pain and labor metaphor too far, but is, is the church supposed to be a doula or a hospice nurse? Here's where I'm going to take you to Ezekiel. These are probably the bulk of the verses, so settle in. Um, I do have these on, on the screen. This is the story of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet, and he is be, he's in the middle of the Babylonian invasion. or He's a, basically a refugee, and he's a prophet for God. And the people have wandered. They've gone astray. And um, God says, here's what I want you to tell the people. So I, what I'm going to ask you to do as I read these verses is to kind of focus in on it as a story. I'm going to teach a little Ignatian um, prayer uh, discipline. What they do is they have you read the scripture and envision yourself as someone in the story. So I want you to envision yourself as one of the characters in the story. You could be Ezekiel. You could be God. You could be whatever else you'll see. So this is from Ezekiel 37. Um, the people of God have been exiled. And they've wandered and they've been ex exiled. And God is fed up with the people of God. So this is what he says to them in chapter 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me. And he brought me out, of, out, of, out by the spirit of the Lord. And set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me round them. There were very many lying in the valley. They were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, Oh Lord God, you know. 
Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter to you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord God. So I prophesied as I've been commanded and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Guys, these dry bones, this vast multitude, they had sinews on them, they had flesh on them. They looked like real people, but they had no breath in them. Okay, think about this. Then they said, he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Rightly so, since they were in exile. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. Oh, my people, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O oh my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. So I know there's been a lot of talk about the state of the church. If you just read the New York Times, you will hear, you will read an article about how especially young people are done with the church. Dan talked a little bit about it last week when he was going through the letters of Paul. But this is not new. This state that we're in is not new to God. Okay, we have a lot, a lot of signs on our doorposts that indicate that we're still a Christian nation. Okay, but the breath, the attendance, the participation is not what it used to be. So in a, in a lot of ways, the pattern is the same. It's repeating itself. But what does God say? Here's the hope. Here's the hope. God says in verse 14, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil, your own home. And you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. So real, real question here, and you don't have to answer this. Who did you envision yourself being in this story? My um, First Testament, my Pentateuch teacher would always say, you he was British or Scottish or something. He had this great accent that I can't do, but Garrett could do it, so sorry. 
he would say, you Americans always think that you're God in this story or that you're Ezekiel and God is talking to you. But in actuality, the church is the dry bones. We are the dry bones. And, and even more so, I would say, we, we need breath and life into the church. So, not to take you all the way through Ezekiel, but you guys go through it. Because at the end of Ezekiel, there is a small stream, an image of the small stream that becomes a creek, and it turns into a raging river. And on the banks of the raging river is chock full of life and food and a city and breath and lush greenery and all this wonderful imagery that ends Ezekiel. The last verse of the last chapter of Ezekiel says this. The name of the city, and they don't mention that it's Jerusalem, so we don't know what city that he's talking about. He said the name of this city that's so lush and green is going to be called the Lord is there. That's the name of the city. Wherever the Lord is, that is where home is. Wherever there is life, that is what the home of God is. That's what he has provided for us. And that's what our future is, this new Jerusalem that's coming down. Let's not miss the point. Let's not think, oh, this is really, really difficult. I can't make it to church. Or let's not say, oh, man, things are hard. Maybe I should jump ship now. God is still with us. He's already given us his spirit. He changes our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. And he makes our dry bones stick together again by putting flesh on us. He dwells with us. And we, my friends, the church, we are doula. <laughs> because we are co-creating life with God. That's the job he gives us. He gives us the ability to participate in his work in the world. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how much pain we endure in life, he gives us each other. And no matter how inconsistent and unfaithful and doubting and how much we wander and how much we stray and how dry our bones are because I'm part of that crew too. He is always faithful. God is always faithful. And he's always faithful to his church. And what you'll see in, in all the meta, the meta narrative of God is that no matter what the people do, God always bails us out. He always, always, always has a plan for us. Even when he says, guys, this is not going to be good for you. Don't do it. He still has a plan B, C, and D, and probably more the alphabet that we don't even know. He's that good to us because he is our father. So he's asking us to be co-creators with him. And we go into an uncertain future together in this space called the church. And there might be some pain, but we'll push through it. From the Garden of Eden to the New Jerusalem, he's making something new. And we get to show up. We get to participate. We get to become co-creators with him. That was his plan from the beginning, and it will be his plan until we are all together in that Garden of Eden again. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
we are the ones that wander. So I don't know about you, but this is what I'm counting on. You guys with me? In the next few weeks, we'll talk a little more specifics about exactly what does that home look like? What does it look like to be brothers and sisters in Christ? What does it look like to be co-creators so that we can get to that lush green city that says the Lord is here?